a series called You Are Here. And what we're talking about is the idea that if you want to get to where God wants you to be, you got to know where you are, okay? And, 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 and what this whole series is trying to push back against is the idea that God is somewhere and you've got to go find him. And he'll start to talk to you and he'll start to look at you and he'll start to, you know, you know be happy with you the closer you get to him. And what we've been talking about is that It's the opposite of that. God is with you now. Jesus is with you now. And he's saying, follow me. And we talked about my, my, my little dog that doesn't come. When I say come, he runs. And, uh, but if I say this way, uh, I, then he'll, he'll start to he'll come. And that, that's kind of how Jesus does it. Hey, 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 this way. We're going this way. Follow me. Follow me. Well, a lot of times what happens is there's, a, there's another false narrative that if you're following God, your life is going to go great. Have you ever had this happen where something goes wrong in your life and you're like, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it because I was thinking those thoughts about him or about her or whatever. This is God's way of getting my attention. Well, maybe that is part of the case. But what I want to tell you this morning, and I'm going to give you the sermon right up front. Uncertainty is a certainty. (laughs) Isn't that just deep? Okay. Uncertainty is a certainty. You will not get through life without turbulence. You're not going to, and we've been using a lot of uh, plane language, you know, flying language. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's an Air Force pilot, retired, and he flies those KC-135 refueling planes, the, the planes that fly, and then refuel another plane in midair, okay? I don't know about you, but I still can't wrap my head around that. And why can't they do it for cars? We're on the freeway. <laughs> I mean, you're stuck there. What, you know, just a little thing, you know, and there, there you go. And you're like, thank you, you know, appreciate it. So, um, so he was flying and, and I, I started asking him about turbulence because the name of the sermon for me was called turbulence. What happens when you're flying along just fine and then all of a sudden, the fastened seatbelt light comes on. All of a sudden, the captain comes on and says, you know, as the captains, they have that speak. You know, they're just like, well, we're glad you're flying with. I, I don't know what that is, but, you know, the fastened seat light comes on and the plane starts going. Even this week, there was a, a plane that got such bad turbulence, people were like flying around. Well, sometimes our life can feel that way. That we're just going along, minding our own business, and all of a sudden, everything starts going. What, what, what is that? What do we do in those situations? Who do we turn to? And while that's happening, is Jesus really with us? Like even, even when we get, all of a sudden, a relationship begins to come off the rails. Jesus is really there, and why isn't he doing anything? My favorite uh, turbulence story is from uh, one of my best friends. His name is uh, Paul Richardson. He wrote this book, A Certain Risk, uh, Living Your Faith at the Edge. I first met Paul when we were both 11 years old. We were both wearing OP shorts that were entirely too small. And, uh, and uh, we were just geek. We were just like the geekiest kids. And so uh, I had just moved from New Jersey, and Paul had just moved from Indonesia. His dad was a missionary. And so my mom says, why don't you go see the Richardson boy, and you guys can become friends. And there's that awkward thing when you're 11, like, so, what's up? You know, and guys are just terrible at it. You know, nothing. You know, it's like, oh, you're, you're like my husband. Uh, yeah. Uh, so 
I, I meet Paul. It turns out we both end up in full-time ministry, which is just, if you had known us at 15 years old, oh, man, two things I cannot believe. I'm in full-time ministry, and my wife actually knew me at 16 and still dated me, okay? That is just, I have no idea. That was her, and now she's in full-time ministry, right, taking care of me. So Paul writes this book, and I want to read. He, he, he's talking about these different episodes he's had on uh, planes. Because he's, he's a missionary in Indonesia, the, 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 the countries that he flies in, they're, they're, a lot of them are third world countries, and so they have just different standards for their planes. And he talks about one time the plane was going to take off, but then an engine like popped, and so they just kind of kept on the runway and then glided to a stop. They turned around and some people came with flashlights and looked at it. And the captain got on and said, yeah, we're going to try this again. And he's like, no, let's not try this again. So he lived through that one. But I want you to read, I want you to hear this one. He told me about this before he wrote the book and I couldn't believe it. He says, our family was once relaxing at cruising altitude en route to the cosmopolitan city-state of Singapore, where visitors who are caught with narcotics get executed. I had far more important matters on my mind. California Pizza Kitchen or Sizzler? (laughs) Tough decision. We don't have restaurants like that where we live. I was determined to have self-control. If I touched the mush on the tray in front of me, I'd ruin my appetite for the good stuff later. Leaning back in my seat, I closed my eyes and drifted away, dreaming of endless soup and salad bar. I woke to the absence of noise. Without warning, both of the airline's engines had suddenly gone silent. Now, the way planes work is you have to have the engines actually going. Okay, because this is a big part of the story here if you don't understand that. So imagine you're flying along, and he didn't write it in the book, But the plane just stopped, like the lights went out, everything just, and they just started this descent. I'll keep reading. It's better when he writes it. We plunged into a steep dive. The airplane shook and creaked violently as we fell hundreds of feet per second. Oxygen masks tumbled out of the ceiling. Over and over again, a robotic voice reverberated, prepare for emergency descent, prepare for emergency descent. After strapping oxygen mask on my boys and myself, I glanced around at the terrified eyes of the other passengers. We were about to die. Uh, Just a spoiler alert, he didn't, okay? (laughs) Cindy happened to be scrapbooking nut at the time. What did she do in her final moments of her life? She grabbed her camera and snapped a picture of the kids and me. Her zeal to create family photo albums showed up at the craziest of times. I too felt somewhat calm in spite of the fact that my flesh was about to be incinerated in a ball of exploding gas and then sink to the bottom of the ocean to merge into the food cycle. Then I glanced at the faces of my children. Little Josiah and Stephen had the look of being strapped into a runaway roller coaster. Katie had a panicked expression, but she was trying to be brave like her mommy. I tried to calm the boys down. Could this really be happening? Josiah's big blue eyes were flooded with tears. They're just babies. This can't be the moment of their death. As we fell through the clouds, my heart erupted with an all-consuming passion for my family. Nothing else mattered but their survival. Soup and salad had been wiped off my radar screen. 
My life, my salary, accomplishments, fulfillment, even my golf handicap disappeared into irrelevance. Minutes later, can you imagine? Minutes, you're falling for minutes. He, he doesn't write it in here, but he told me that when they finally got the engines going, he could see the tops of the trees as they, as they, came, they came in. They were, they were along the coast. Minutes later, the engines fired and the pilot pulled out of a severe dive. The moment our wheels touched the pavement uh, in Singapore, all of the passengers erupted into wild applause. Yeah, you think? Okay. <laughs> We've never received an explanation. I, as I stepped off the plane, I wanted nothing more than to be with Sid, Cindy and my children. I wanted to hold and hug them and look into their eyes to laugh with them and to keep living life with them. He hit some serious turbulence. But you know what he ended up telling me? There were two things as he was sitting in that plane that calmed him down. And the very first one was he knew he was exactly where God wanted him to be. That in his ministry and what he was doing and all that, he was, could calm, he could rest in the fact that he was exactly where God wanted to be and that Jesus was on that plane with him. And if this was his time, this was his time. Now, the reason I bring up that story um, is I told him that I'd get at least five book sales guaranteed if he allowed me to do that. But this isn't uncommon if you're a follower of Jesus. You see, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and your expectation is that it's going to be smooth sailing because you're in God's will, because you're doing everything right and that God has this little thermometer, obedience thermometer and says, mm, it's dipping down a little bit low, let's throw in some turbulence. You, you're, you're missing something. I want to read a story that's in the book of Matthew. And Jesus has been working. Uh, his ministry has already come into full swing and he... Uh, um, uh, has healed some people and there's already a lot of talk about what's going on and the Sermon of the Mount was just two chapters before where he just like delivered this um, incredible sermon with incredible teaching much like Living Spring and so uh, it's so now he's, he's with his disciples and his whole thing has been follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me That's, that is his call follow me not do better not be, don't cuss as much, uh, not, you know, it's follow me, do what I do, walk in my steps, watch what I do, and then do that. That is the work of a rabbi. So Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. His disciples got in the boat. They didn't ask any questions. They didn't say, where are we going? They didn't say, is there food service on the boat? They didn't ask anything like that. They just, they just got in the boat. I want to start with this. Most of what growing in Christ is about is often not so much how much you know or how much zeal you have. Often it's just getting in the boat. <laughs> just start by getting in the boat. We have someone, one of my favorite stories at Living Spring, someone who uh, came to Christ here. Um, I won't name her name because uh, Chelsea would be upset with me if I did, I think. Uh, <laughs> is that, well, it was her baptism story, so I, I can tell it. It's, it was public. Um, but Chelsea started coming here with her then boyfriend, Justin, and they just started coming to church. And she'd hear something in the sermon or she'd hear... Uh, um, uh, Maybe I, I, I preach on serving, okay? 
And, and she could sense God saying, hey, f- come on, what, what are you going to, let's go serve. Follow me. And so she doesn't even know if she believes in the Bible or Jesus or the whole Christianity thing or anything. She just goes, felt this thing of just, and so she just got in the serving boat. Well, she's not even sure she's a Christian and she's the one doing the slides for all the worship songs. So we're like, I love you, Jesus. And she's like, I hope I get the right slide, right? You know, because so, you got in the serving boat. And then there'd be a sermon or something on, on prayer and she'd say, okay, well, you know what? I'll, I'll, if, that's, if that's what Jesus wants me to do, if that's my next step, I'll start praying. And so she started praying. And she'd hear a sermon on reading your Bible and she'd hear the Lord saying, follow me. Come on, hey, let's read the Bible. Let's do this. After a while... She realized, I think I'm a Christian. (laughs) It wasn't this like huge thing. It wasn't this great moment. It was just this getting in the boat. And Jesus takes her somewhere. Getting off the boat. Getting in the boat. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And so that's what these disciples do. This morning, as we take communion, what we're going to see is a lot of taking communion is just getting in the boat. It's saying, okay, Jesus, where you go, I will go. What you tell me to do, I I will do. And communion is just a representation of that. So they get in the boat. The disciples follow him. And suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Now, here's the problem. They're with Jesus. They're following Jesus. Why would Jesus allow there to be a storm on the water? If they're doing his will, why would he do that? Why would there be a storm if you're following? Because here's the thing. Uncertainty is a certainty. You're going to go through turbulence. You're going to go through storms. What you want to do is make sure when you do it, Jesus is there with you for strength, for support. In this case, for a really cool miracle. But So the waves sweep over the boat. So these are fishermen. They've been on the water their whole lives. So they're bailing. They're doing all this kind of stuff, trying to solve the situation, trying to solve the turbulence as they know how, doing the best they can. And where was Jesus? What was Jesus doing? You guys read this before, huh? He was sleeping. (laughs) Jesus was sleeping during the turbulence. Could you imagine Paul? He's flying in the air. And the, the engines go out, and the whole plane goes dark, and you just start, you know, and the pilot gets on, we've started our descent. Uh, well, you know, it, it, there, there it goes. And you're just like, oh, man, hey, I'm just going to, can I have that pillow? Thanks. You know, and it's just like, that's Jesus. There's this, there's this thing, and Jesus is, is like catching some shut eye during the storm. How is that possible? Because Jesus knows something. Yeah, I'm going to show it to you in just a little bit. The disciples went and woke him up. The engines are gone on the plane. You'd probably want to know this before you died. Okay? You know, if I'm asleep and the engine goes out, don't wake me up. Okay? If we're on a plane together. So they wake him up. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Check out the, this tension that, these, the, that they have. They're scared they're going to die. But they trust Jesus enough to ask him to help. Don't you ever feel that way? Like when you're going through a difficulty? It's like, there's no way I'm getting through this. Jesus, can you help me get through this? Well, if Jesus is with them, of course they're going to get through it. He's not going to allow them unless that, that was his will. But, so there's this tension of like, 
I'm with Jesus, and I trust you can fix it, but I just want this to be over. And that's where they are. I say the disciples went and woke him up, said, we're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Oh, because I'm afraid to die, Jesus. <laughs> that's why I'm so afraid. And I always crack up at this because we read this as, as like him going, you of little faith. You know, why do you? But there's waves crashing over. There's wind and rain, and it's loud. So you, you would imagine that he'd be saying it like this. You of little faith. You know, and they're like, what? Little faith. Huh? You know, get a what? You know, so uh, my, there's something on my face? No, you little faith. Why are you so afraid? Because we're going to drown. You know, that's what it was like. It was this crazy storm. And Jesus had to communicate with them. And in the middle of that storm, calm Jesus asks a question that I need to ask myself all the time. Why am I so afraid? That is an excellent question to ask yourself this week as you go through the turbulence that is going to come your way. You're thinking about your work. Maybe they're laying people off. I mean, we live in turbulent times. I mean, all you have to do is, like, Google North Korea, okay? And there's, there's all the fear you'll need for the rest of the week, okay? But why? Why, why, why would that frighten you? And, you? and this is what you process through with Jesus. Well, I am afraid of a nuclear war. Okay. What? How is Jesus not going to sustain you? Or, or if, you, if you end up dying, okay, you're, you're in his presence, right? Like, why? Ah, oh, you know, why, why, why are you so afraid? Well, I'm afraid that the business is going to fail. Are you afraid the business is going to fail or that you're going to fail? See, these are the kinds of conversations God wants to have with us. And so Jesus asked this question, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? I'm right here, <laughs> I've got you. Yes, there's waves coming, and yeah, it looks really bad, but there's no reason to be afraid if I'm right next to you. So really what it comes down to is as we hit the turbulent parts of our life that we're going to hit, we have to say, Lord, how, how, can, how can I just press into you? No matter what happens, worst case scenario, go for the worst case scenario. Okay, how can I get through this with Jesus? So he says, you a little faith, why are you so afraid? And he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. That is so awesome. <laughs> like, like, and I don't know what the rebuke was. Like, God, get off me. You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, or if he was, you know, whatever. But he rebukes them. Here's the thing. Uncertainty is a certainty. It's coming. I don't mean to scare you. <laughs> but you have a heavenly father. That loves you so much, he provided you with a relationship with him that during that uncertainty, there's a comfort and there's a calm. That the same God that can calm the waters like that and calm the, calm the winds. Because see, he could have stopped it, but those waves would have still been going, but he calmed everything down. But he wants, to answer that he wants you to answer that question. Why were you so afraid? Look what I can do. I want to add one little part to this uncertainty is a certainty. 
uncertainty is a certainty, but fear is an opportunity. See, you're going to get scared. I mean, there's no way the plane is falling from the sky and you're just going to be like, hey, how are you guys doing? Not scared one bit. Our bodies are made, like they're hardwired to fear. But that fear then becomes an opportunity to press in to God, to press in to Jesus, to go, okay, I am scared to death, but now I've got this turbulence has created an opportunity for me to experience God in a way I never could have before had I not gone through this. Don't you notice your, cha- your prayers change when you're, in, when you're in turbulence? They do. They do for me. My typical prayer would be like, Lord, I'm at the mall. I don't want to be here. Help me find a parking space. Oh, I found one. Praise you, Lord. You're so good. Thank you so much. That's great. You know, Lord, I, I, you know, I'm not feeling too good. I got a little thing here, and I just, I, I don't, I'm scared what it is. And the next day, I feel better. Oh, Lord, you're so, you're, you're my healer. Until there's a crisis, and then I'm, Lord, I'm drowning. Save me. <laughs> you know, it's a totally different prayer. Your prayer life deepens. In Paul's situation, your relationship with those around you deepen. My friend Kevin, who um, was the Air Force pilot, he was telling me a story about. Uh, they were in one of those KC-135s and they were refueling uh, another jet. And there was this, this cloud in the distance about three miles away and uh, they didn't really think anything of it and so they're refueling. And when they, get, when they hit this cloud, they get, both planes get hit with five Gs of turbulence. They start bouncing. He said the tail of the jet almost ripped the underbelly of the KC-135. And he said you, his teeth, he couldn't stop his teeth from rattling. And he says, when you hit turbulence and you're flying in formation, you, everybody around has to take care of everyone else because you don't know which, which person's going to go which way or whatever. That's the same thing that happens to us. When we hit turbulence times, we're all looking out for each other as we've gone through together. Some of you have gone through some really turbulent times and and the whole church body has seen you through that time. Some are going through it right now. Fear is an opportunity. So about two chapters later, um, well, well, so they say to, I'm I'm sorry, they say uh, about Jesus, these men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? (laughs) Amazed, the Greek word is um, oh snap. Okay, it's like, what like it just calms down and they're like oh snap what just happened and then they say it's not really the greek word what kind of man is this even the winds and the waves obey him now i wonder i could be wrong and i might be reading too much into the bible but when they retold this story okay to their buddies or you know jesus is gone and they're just sitting around you know like guys do telling stories and i do remember Remember when, when, we, when we were in that storm and Jesus just like calmed the waters? And there's always one dude who's like, yeah, I wasn't really that scared. It's like, shit, you stop. You, yeah. It's like, you're lucky everything was wet because it was going to get wet anyway. You were, you were so scared. You know, all this guy, no, no, man, I really was. I was, I was with Jesus. I, I, I trusted him, you know. Isn't it funny that we look back and there, there's sometimes a little regret like, I should have trusted him through that. Like he, he, he did it. You know, he's done it before, he's done it before, and then we get into a new thing and we go, oh, oh, man. Well, let me show you, uh, if you're SpongeBob fans, uh, two chapters later. Um, uh, 
we get to Matthew 10. And here's what he's doing. So remember, they've got this example of what Jesus has done. And now he's sending the 12 out on their own. Okay? And here's what he says. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And they're like, okay, now, wait a second. We're the sheep or we're the wolves? <laughs> like, what's, what is that? No, like sheep among wolves. You are going to go into the world of uncertainty. That's what you're going to do. You go in as uncertainty, as sheep among wolves. Now, watch what he says. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And then he says this. Be on your guard. Now, when, when you send somebody out, if you're a follower of Christ, and somebody told you, oh, when you accept Jesus, oh, your whole life is going to get better, and you thought that meant no difficulty, Jesus, when someone sends you out, and part of their, like, advice is, oh, yeah, and be on your guard. <laughs> you know, can you imagine going to the store, and your wife's just like, oh, and by the way, be on your guard. Wait, why? I mean, why, why would I need to do that, you know? Well, Jesus knows you're going to end up with some situations. You're going out as sheep among wolves. So be careful. Be shrewd. When those situations happen, be alert. Make sure you're looking around. Then he goes on. I'm skipping a couple of verses. He says, but when they arrest you, again, I'd be like, wait, Okay, stop. What? Okay, I have, I'm going out as sheep among wolves. I need to be on my guard. And then, you, you, did you say when they arrest me or if they arrest me? Oh, yeah, when they arrest you. Do not worry. This is so powerful about what to say or how to say it. Our culture has a, uh, has a phrase that, that, that is used all the time. Um, expect the unexpected, right? It, it's a really stupid phrase because... <clears throat> by the very definition of unexpected means it's impossible to expect. So you can't expect the unexpected. You're, you're, not, you're not designed to do that. But what, what the underlying narrative of, of expect the unexpected is, be prepared for anything. And what Jesus is saying is, you're going to go out there. It's going to be difficult. You're going to run into some turbulence. But you don't need to worry about solving it on your own at that time. I will take care of it. Look what he says. For it is not you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And then this is why I believe Jesus could sleep on a boat when everything else is going haywire. And this is why my friend Paul was able to remain relatively calm. Because he knew that Jesus was with him. God, Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. There is nothing on this planet, nothing, no turbulence, no situation, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. It, it doesn't matter what it is. And so if that's the case, there's no reason to fear anything. But isn't it fascinating to me that Jesus still says, be on your guard. And so there, there is an element of, of responsibility for us to be on our guard. But right when we hit the turbulence, put it, put, fasten your seatbelt and put it in the pilot's hand. But in the meantime, watch out. Be looking. Listen to his voice. 
he goes on and he says this, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, when I read that, I picture an angry God. I picture God just going, just waiting for me to mess up. Like, don't fear people who can hurt you. Fear the one who is to be feared. He's, he's kind of a little ticked, okay? The first Adam sinned, that kind of messed his whole plan up, and now he's just up there just waiting to smack people around. The very next verse is, gives you an idea of what Jesus is trying to say when he says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What he's saying is, there is you do not want to mess up this opportunity, right? Hell is just separation from God. So he says, was that you, Lord? Okay, no. <laughs> so after that verse, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, you'd expect something of like, because he's really upset with you and he's coming to get you. This is what Jesus does, right? Turns it right on a dime. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. This God that's able to destroy both your soul and body in hell cares about little birds. <laughs> you start to get a different picture that maybe this God knows what's best for you and that hell is just to be separated from him and heaven is to be in his presence and that that affects everything. And if that's the case, if he knows what's best for you and he's there for you and you know that at, at the end of it all anyway, the death rate is still 100%, right? Okay, we, 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 haven't, we haven't been able to figure that out. At the end of the day, you're going to be in his presence anyway. Why not appreciate it now? He says, aren't two, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet none of them will fall to the ground. He says, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Now, some of us make it easier for him than others, okay? <laughs> He's like, oh, John. Two, four, six, okay, nine. Okay, good, great. Jesus, write that down. John's got nine. Oh, eight. Okay, eight. Yeah, there we go, right? But listen to that. He's like, he's like, man, he knows everything about you. He's got you. And so when those turbulent times come, and some of, them are, some of you are in them now, we know Jesus is right here with me. I have no need to fear. He says this. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Those turbulent times are going to come. Sometimes God even allows them when you're right in his will. You get a diagnosis. You get something with work that was not none of your fault. You know, it was amazing to me when I read about the crucifixion of Jesus. One of the lines that just gets me every time is that Jesus is innocent. Pilate knows he's innocent. Okay? Uh, and uh, it says, but in order to please the crowds, Pilate flogged him and killed him. Like the reason it happened was because some guy wanted to get more Facebook likes or what, what have you. I mean, that, that's what happened. Jesus was not fearful, even during that time. And so he, he's uniquely qualified to say, do not be afraid. And then he, he does this, and I don't know how he said it, like, 
oh, by the way, or if he winked at him or whatever, he says, you are worth more than many sparrows. <laughs> if that God knows when a sparrow falls and cares about that, you're, you're worth more than many. And he probably turned to Peter and he's like, you're only worth 15, though, that, you know, or whatever, you know. I think Jesus liked to joke a lot. Here's the thing. We're going to go through turbulent times. Uncertainty is certain, you know. It's, it's just going to happen. And so the more time we spend worrying and being fearful and trying to bail out the stuff ourselves when it's t- completely out of our control, we will miss a certain intimacy, a certain level with Jesus. As Adjua comes back up, we're going to take an opportunity to get in the boat with Jesus this morning through communion. And um, all communion is, is uh, it's a representation when on the night that Jesus was betrayed, okay, this night that he went to uh, Jerusalem on his own, had already told the disciples, I'm going there to get flogged and to be crucified and die. Like he already knew that. So here's this man who knows he's about to die and he, they're doing the Passover um, meal and he says, um, as they go through the different parts of the Passover, they get to the part where the, the bread and the wine is there and he takes the bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it and he says, this is my body that was broken for you. Whenever you take and eat of this, do it in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup and he... Uh, Uh, blesses that. He gives thanks for that. And he says, this is my blood which has been poured out for the remission of sins. Whenever you take and drink of this, do it in remembrance of me. And so what we're going to do is do this together. And so what we do is we'll uh, have um, the, well, there'll be people giving communion on, on either side. And just when you're ready, you just walk up and go and grab communion. You, some people come and they kneel at the stage. It's just a, a way of a surrender. Others to go back to their seat. You, you, you can do whatever you want. But here's my hope. He said, if there's a place in your life where the Lord's been asking you to get in the boat, that you'd use this time of communion as a reminder of his call to you, which is the same as the disciples. Come on, follow me this way. And that you would use that time to say, Lord, you were obedient unto death. I'm just going to get in the boat and see what happens. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your uh, love for us. Lord, we thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. You even know the numbers of hairs on our head. And your, your, your simple instruction is just to follow you. So, Lord, I pray that as we take communion together as a church, that this would also be a representation of us caring for one another. That as we hit turbulent times, that uh, we need to put someone else's oxygen mask on first before ours or whatever, that we just, um, that we do this as a community. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the ability to remember your obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.